This is the Mooncast. Welcome to the Mooncast, and today we have a bunch of news to cover. We have Binance, we have MicroStrategy, and we have Coinbase and much, much more. So let's just jump right into it. I don't want to waste any more of your time. So the first piece of news we have today is the U.S. SEC sues Richard Hart, Hex, Pulse Chain on unregistered securities fraud allegations, right? Now, so the article goes on to read. It says uh, the U.S. SEC sued Internet marketer. Richard Schuler, known only as Richard Hart, as his project Hex, Pulse Chain, and Pulse X allegedly raised over $1 billion across three different unregistered securities offerings beginning in 2019, right? So Hart also defrauded his investors. The SEC alleged in a lawsuit on Monday by using investors' funds for personal goods, right? So Hart continually touted these investments as a pathway to grandiose wealth for investors, claiming that Hex, for example, was built to be the highest appreciating asset that has ever existed in the history of man. The lawsuit said, although Hart claimed these investments were for vague purpose of supporting free speech, he did not disclose that he uses or he used millions of dollars of pulse chain investor funds to buy luxury goods for himself. Pulse X and Pulse Chain launched earlier this month, but faced rocky starts in the weeks immediately after going live. Seeing high fees, liquidity issues, and exploitable bugs, the prices of Hex, PLS, and PLSX tokens fell post-launch. Right? What a surprise. Like, who would have guessed that this was going to dump, especially that they launched it during the bear market, especially that I, I personally think Hex is a scam. I think it's a, it's a Ponzi scheme, but most things are Ponzi schemes anyways, right? If you really want to get that theoretical about stuff. and But the reality of the situation is Richard Hart is finally going to get the hammer on him uh, for marketing uh, a product that really doesn't help anyone that buys the bag last, right? Because the problem with Hex is, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a, pump, and dunk to- it's a pump and dump token scam, right? And, um, yeah, you know, I think they just need more liquidity and, and a little bit more flair and a little bit more marketing. So that's why they launched Pulse X and Pulse Chain. I'm not entirely too sure about all the different technical implementations of it, but I believe that people who were holding hacks in their wallet got airdropped Pulse tokens. From my understanding, I'm not entirely sure because I, I just don't follow this project at all, to be honest. So any, anyone that's listening to this can you know, can quote me if I'm wrong on this. But anyways, the article goes on to read. It says, Hart made frequent references to federal securities laws. The SEC further alleged, citing his YouTube's live streams and other public statements. However, the suit said Hart had himself admitted that the success of these endeavors were completely dependent on his efforts. Hart pumped Hex's capacity for investment gain, claiming at Hex.com until at least... November 1st to 2020 that hex is designed to surpass ETH 
which did uh, 10,000x price in 2.5 years. It's working so far. Hex's USD price went up 115x in 129 days, the suit said on December 2nd, 2019, during a seven hour live stream on YouTube hours uh, before the Hex offering commenced. Hart stated that Hex was built to outperform Ethereum and Bitcoin and all other cryptocurrencies. The suit charges Hart and projects with fraud and securities registration violations, right? So here's my thing too about this, right? Um, it's kind of weird and stuff isn't really co coinciding with one another, right? Because when you really think about it and you look at the XRP case, right? So let's, let's, let's talk about XRP for a bit. So XRP is seen by the court and the judge as not a security as a recent, right? Which is kind of, in a way, opening up the floodgates to say most of these things are not securities in the in the extent, right? Um, I'm not entirely sure to what extent it, XRP is not a security and into why all the all the reasons are because I haven't looked thoroughly into the documentation and stuff, right? But the point is that XRP is a security. So how is how is Hex not how is it a security or not a security? How is it being identified and why is it being identified in that way? I'm not entirely sure. But what I do know is that I think what will happen next once the the SEC loses their appeal because they are appealing the XRP not a security, right? Once they lose the appeal, what we'll see is what I'm this is what I'm predicting, right? Why would I go IPO into the stock market and go through the SEC and deal with all these regulations and all these hassles and pay all these lawyers and all these legal fees when I can just launch a crypto token or a crypto coin, right? And just tell my investors to, to buy my coin instead of buy my stock because it's just quicker, easier, less friction. And they hold it in their own wallet, or you can even do custodial services. You know, you can even build an app, an in an in-house app, and people can trade off the app, or you can, you know, they can even add these type of services into other brokerage accounts. You know, it, it can get really, really interesting in the next few years. But I'm just seeing it from the perspective of the entrepreneur and the businessman. If you're gonna go IPO. Why do it in that way when you could also have access to then the global liquidity too as well when you launch an ICO because anyone in the world can have access to your ICO. So now you can pump your bags even more. Whereas an IPO, you'd be subject to only the US market and people who have access to the US market and not a global market. So yeah, that's, my, that's what I'm predicting. This is what I'm thinking in regards to the future of how you go initial public offering or in this case, initial coin offering. I think I've already said in previous podcasts before, but I really do believe that the stock exchange will become the block exchange, right? I'm very adamant in, in this thought process, right? But back to Hex, I just really think that a lot of people that bought this token, they should be held accountable. I don't really think it's Richard Hart's fault for marketing really well a shitcoin, you know? Um, yeah, I just don't see the point. I don't I don't see, I don't get why he's he's being sued. I mean, I get it because it's they're saying that it's a it's a security, but if XRP is not a security, I don't think most of these cryptos are secu are securities, you know? Um, so that's the reason it's 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 a BS reason in my opinion. So 
once that we'll see how this plays out but I do believe that they shouldn't have gone out their hex because anyways people should be allowed to invest in whatever they want to and if a whole bunch of idiots want to hold something that has literally no value in my opinion and doesn't really have real utility other than copying what other chains are doing I think most of these chains just copy each other because they can because it's open source it's the same thing that we have too as well when you look at AI right so I had a theory of just okay if the AI gets when the AI gets sophisticated enough which is already kind of is now but as it continues to get sophisticated enough you'll start to see people who launch a business and the business is doing well and once people catch wind they'll be able to copy the business within a week or less just using the AI maybe within a few days you know so the only thing this is what again why I'm big on content because the only thing that's going to separate your business from another person's business is going to be marketing and, and brand uh, recognition and positioning and I think the best form of marketing is the content creator is why I'm again always adamant on pushing out content because there's going to be more and more people on the internet as the internet infrastructure continues to expand out into the more rural areas around the world. So it's just very interesting to see how things are, are playing out with Hex. Um, I'll continue to keep you guys posted on this in regards to Richard Hart and this lawsuit and how it goes. But yeah, let's move on to the next piece of news. So here we have Leet Swap. Bases leading decks halts trading amid reports of an exploit, right? So again with these exploits, right? We'll continue to continue mention these throughout the duration of this podcast about these exploits. And I'll continue to start pushing more cybersecurity content too as well. Uh, Web 2 and Web 3 space as well as just more systems and administrations and stuff like that. Because I am taking a course. I do want to disseminate that information and regurgitate that information back to you guys. So you guys can get a little bit better understanding on cybersecurity and why it's so important especially in today's day and age where everything's going digital and this is why i'm getting into this field to to expand my vertical integration within my business and also as well expand my knowledge and skills and also help companies and businesses to to take it serious you know to understand firewall and malware protection and and hackers and system breaches and all these different sorts of types of things and um you know be becoming a pen tester and all these different things so but anyways this article goes on to read it says lead swap a decentralized exchange built on coinbase's layer 2 blockchain base as you guys know base doesn't have a token as you know they probably don't have one because it would probably not be suitable and a very smart idea or smart move for them to do that seeing as there's so much regulatory uncertainty in the states so that's why I'm, I'm guessing they didn't launch a token, but I guess they probably will once things clear up more so in the U.S. Because as of right now, it's a little bit confusing in regards to the le- regulatory clarity, which is quite astonishing seeing as the U.S. is a global leader in capital markets and innovation. They should be able to figure out these things more quicker than other countries who aren't you know, seen or renowned as huge leaders in capital markets and innovation you know but for some reason they're able to get things together more so than other than than the u.s you know which is which is it's, it's just astonishing that china was able to get regulatory clarity dubai is able to get regulatory clarity and other countries are following suit too as well so the u.s might again be behind on the adoption curve 
in the Web3 space. But anyways, moving forward, we see here, the article goes on to read, it says, as our DEX is forked from Solidity, our, fact, our factory had a security pause function, right? And LeadSwap tweeted late on Monday. We noticed that some pool liquidity might have been compromised and we temporarily stopped the trading to investigate. The statement came just before PeckShield, the crypto security firm, said that one of its community contributors reported that liquidity pairs on base had been exploited from approximately 340 ETH, so around $630,000 at the time of this article. And so the article goes on to read, a hacker managed to exploit LeadSwap, the leading decentralized exchange on base, to steal roughly 630,000 worth of ETH from various liquidity pairs of tokens on the DEX, said Steven Zhang, director of research at the block, right? So it, the article goes on to read, it says it has been a busy day for BASE's leading DEX. News of the trading pause comes shortly after BALD, a popular meme coin crashed in value after its developer pulled 6,800 ETH or 12.5 million from the tokens liquidity pool on LeetSwap. Coinbase's base uh, opened its mainnet for developers on July 13th. The Layer 2 network aims to offer faster and cheaper crypto transactions while keeping intact the security benefits of Ethereum. Sounds like every other layer two, right? This is the thing with Ethereum layer two is they all kind of do the same thing, right? And this is kind of my issue with, with, with base launching. They do, again, it's all about marketing, branding, and brand recognition. They have the brand recognition and they have good marketing. And so people are going to use their chain. But what's the difference between their chain and optimism, optimism and uh, ZK Sync and ZK Sync and Polygon and, you know, all these different layer two solutions on top of ethereum you know it's it's quite fascinating to see how this layer two race is going to work on ethereum because right now it's just uh we have a liquidity crunch already within the market so people just fighting and liquidity is moving from one ecosystem to another but there's no new liquidity being pumped into the market right now and that's just something to really keep in mind and understand as you're assessing these markets and doing your own market analysis and doing your own research and but i hope you're able to take these take my my ability to sort of help to decipher and navigate this market for you in a sense and take some of my expertise and crypto commentary if you will and be able to leverage that in your own investment theses right so let's move on to the next piece of news so we have FTX plans to restart crypto exchange for international customers. <laughs> I really don't like covering FTX so much, but um, I understand that, you know, it, it's a very important topic. So I am going to be covering it in this podcast. And I know a lot of people did lose a lot of money from it. So I'm just going to continue to, to report it, even though it's not my favorite piece of news to really cover. Uh, as you guys know, you know, there's there's a lot of legal and lawsuits you know, directed towards FTX for a lot of misuse of customer funds and also investor funds. And investors are obviously trying to get their money back, but the money's kind of spread out in different locations as he did buy a lot of houses too as well, worth um, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of uh, customers' funds in, in housing assets. So anyways, uh, the article goes on to read, it, it says that the filing posted Monday night U.S. time uh, 
delineates the claim the claimants into various groups the first group is claimants of ftx.com offshore exchange which calls dot com customers next is customers of the u.s exchange u.s customers after customers of its nft exchange then general unsecured claims secured claims and subordinate claims included in general claims are those from alameda's lenders for or trading partners while subordinated claims are taxes and fines from penalties right the article goes on to read says the priority of these claims will be determined according to the waterfall priorities and each class would get a pro rata payout in which or in what's left of the pool after the preceding class is finished the specific order of payout is determined following negotiations with stakeholders so guys you already know how this is going to go so i'm telling you guys right now whatever they're saying in this article let me just translate the criminal criminal knees you know the criminal knees right i'm going to translate it for you the shareholders and the investors are going to get their money first right whatever is left after that whatever scrums are left or, or any crumbs left to the plebs that'll go to the customers right and that's just how this is going to go which you just be prepared to only get maybe 10 percent to 20 percent of your liquidity back or even less but trust me when I say the shareholders and the investors will get their money back first. So keep that in mind. I don't want to read the rest of this article. To be honest with you, I'm over the FTX situation. But there is more follow-up news as well that I do want to get into. Also on FTX, I just want to kind of get it out of the way and then move on to more enjoyable topics that I like to discuss. So um let's go ahead and let's move on to the next piece of news so here we see that ftx wants dubai unit removed from u.s bankruptcy proceedings right so uh, the article goes on to read it says the it says bankrupt crypto exchange ftx wants to exclude its dubai unit for wind for wind down proceedings in the u.s according to court filings from thursday when ftx filed for bankruptcy in the U.S. last November, it started Chapter 11 cases for 102 associated entities from around the world. FTX Dubai, which was set up in February 2022 and which is owned by the company's European arm, was one of the entities roped into the proceedings, right? But FTX Dubai didn't conduct any business prior to the bankruptcy filing in the United Emirates and therefore has no reason reasonable likelihood of rehabilitating its operations the bankrupt estate argued in the filing request the dismissal of the unit additionally ftx dubai is balance sheet solvent wow okay therefore the debtors believe that a solvent voluntary liquidation procedure in accordance with the laws of united arab emirates would allow a timely distribution of positive cash balance after payment of all outstanding liabilities and liquidations of all assets right for piling said so it continues on the article says the state argues that any court orders while ftx dubai was part of the proceedings should stand but the dismissal requested is necessary to protect debtors and authorize them to for instance pay pre-bankruptcy wages and salaries along with other compensation benefits and expenses to Dubai employees. Interesting. So we'll see how that continues with this Dubai 
This potential FTX wants Dubai unit removed from U.S. bankruptcy proceedings. So we'll see how that how that. I mean, I, that's crazy that they're actually solvent, man. That their balance sheets are actually, you know, in the net positive or whatever. So yeah, we'll just continue to keep you guys updated on that. And let's move on to the next piece of news. So here we see Beckham Freed claims jailing him would. Oh, one second. So, anyways, it says Beckham Freed claims that jailing him would violate free speech right right <laughs> this guy is, is a nutcase right so i don't even want to get into this article so let's just go ahead and move on to the next piece of news so let's get into something more enjoyable now right we can start talking a bit about the micro strategy announced his second quarter in 2023 financial results and they now hold 152,800 Bitcoin in total, right? Whew, that's a lot. So the article goes on to read. It says they acquired 12,800 Bitcoin in, since Q1 for around 361.4 million or at the price of $28,233 per Bitcoin, right? It says as of July 2023, they held 152,800 Bitcoin acquired for total cost of 4.53 billion of around an average price of 29,672 or 29,672 Bitcoin, right? Or $29,672 per Bitcoin, right? And the article goes on to read. It says total revenues of 120.4 million. 1% decrease over year over year flat at constant currency and yeah so i don't want to get too much into the article cuz it goes into talking about the loss from operations and net income the operation expenses the gross profit and the revenues and all these different types of things that i won't get into too much in depth into that but you guys can go ahead and check these things out there it's all public right and so microsoft just continues to buy bitcoin is, is basically the news that you need to know and they continue to hold it and they continue to borrow against it uh, to buy more Bitcoin, right? So if we go on to look at the next piece of news here on Cointelegraph, it says that Microsoft MicroStrategy plans 750 million stock sale, possibly buying more Bitcoin, even more Bitcoin, right? So it says in a filing to, secure, to the SEC on August 1st, Microsoft or MicroStrategy announced it has entered into a sales agreement with three companies, Cowan and Company can can accord uh, genuity or genuity, 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 I guess, and Berenberg Capital, right? So this is, I guess, the entities that they're looking to get into business with to buy more Bitcoin. Relating to the sale of its class a uh, common stock, right? So MicroStrategy said that the proceeds of the proposed sale could be used for a variety of general corporate purposes, such as acquisition of more Bitcoin and more and more working capital, right? So, yeah, so the article goes on to talk about a tweet and also talks about, it says here that as with prior programs, we may use the proceeds for general corporate purposes, which include the purchase of Bitcoin, as well as the repurchase of, or repayment of our outstanding debts. MicroStrategy Chief Financial Officer Andrew Kang said during a second quarter earnings call, right? 
So Mike, Michael Saylor founded firm currently holds 152,800 Bitcoin valued at around 4.5 billion at the time of this article. Um, and it also says that it added 12,333 Bitcoin in the second quarter and another 467 in July. And the article goes on to read, it says, our objective is to find ways to generate incremental Bitcoin for our shareholders and do that with either cash flow from business or do it through intelligent accretive financings of equity or debt or other intelligent operations, right? MicroStrategy chairman Michael Saylor told investors on August so yeah basically to sum it up all you need to know is that they're going to continue to buy bitcoin they're not going to stop and yeah i think people don't understand all these major corporations that are getting in there's not going to be enough bitcoin for the normies right the normal people the normies won't be able to buy bitcoin at some point because right now i think around 67 percent of bitcoin is not even on the exchanges right so there's not enough bitcoin to even for the the big whales to even really buy so what do you think that's going to do to the price once more and new liquidity, larger scale liquidity enters the market? What's going to happen when you can't withdraw your Bitcoin and you realize that your exchange was paper trading you the whole time during the, the next bull run? What's going to happen when the rest of the Bitcoin that's left on the exchanges is gobbled up by all these major corporations? So my thing is, I don't want to, I don't want to scare people or frighten people, but I just, I feel like there's gonna be, we're gonna live in a world where either you have Bitcoin or you don't have Bitcoin, right? And that's just gonna be the world. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that we're not already in the world, but I mean it in the sense of, the people who have Bitcoin, it, are gonna be rich. I think even just having ten thousand satoshis, is gonna be worth a lot of money, you know, in the next, you know, fifteen to twenty years, because you're holding an asset that's, that's appreciating in value instead of depreciating in value right over the course of time right and it's trading against the dollar in an inverse and it has an inverse relationship with the dollar right over the course of time meaning that it's appreciating while the dollar is depreciating and i really think there's going to come a point in time where people who don't have bitcoin they're going to regret it a lot because they're going to have to try to figure out a way to get it and the only way i think you can get it is if you have some kind of valuable skill or some kind of valuable uh, thing that people want and you're only willing to accept Bitcoin for it, right? Because there's just not going to be enough. I think this idea of centralized exchange may go away because people are going to realize how illiquid they are with the amount of Bitcoin that they, they can actually trade on the exchange. So it would be more suitable at that point, hopefully, that there will be DEXs out on layer two solutions like Stacks and so on on top of Bitcoin that could help to facilitate the, the transfer of peer-to-peer -peer transactions of Bitcoin, right? For people who want the Bitcoin. And then also, there's also the issue and the dangers of the CBDC too as well. So imagine people who don't want a CBDC transfer or they want to do something more discreetly, they can do it in a peer-to-peer -peer manner with Bitcoin. And my theory too about Bitcoin is, is even, even if Bitcoin doesn't, doesn't get globally adopted to the level that I think it will, even if it doesn't, even if just a few nations adopt it as legal tender, which they have, and let's say that number is just, let's say 10 or 20, right? That's still a huge win. Like that, that sounds like, if you just say it's like around 25 countries adopted, right? As the worst case scenario, 
that's basically like the EU or the Eurozone, right? So the Euro is pretty strong of a currency. And I think Bitcoin will be even stronger because people will see that, you know, there's no friction within within the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? Anyone can trade Bitcoin that has a wallet. You can you can receive it and you can send it to anyone if you just download a software wallet and, and, and you're able to receive it. There's no KYC verification, any of that stuff. So I really feel bad for people who don't own any Bitcoin because I really think that moving forward, if you don't have even just 0.1 Bitcoin or, you know, just 100,000 100, Satoshis, you know, is, is just you just need to buy some Bitcoin, you know, uh, the way things are going, the way that the liquidity is, is being extracted, the way these ETFs are being launched, the way that corporations are starting to see what MicroStrategy is doing and they're going to be the winner in the next few years in terms of asset appreciation and wealth. It, it just makes sense to have a few Bitcoin, you know, that's all I'm saying. So anyways, let's, let's move on to the next piece of news. So here we have the 3AC co-founder says the U.S. court can no longer tell him what to do, right? <sighs> right? And yeah, so the co-founder Kyle Davies said he renounces U.S. citizenship and that the U.S. court no longer have jurisdiction over him. Where that leaves the ongoing U.S. portion of the bankruptcy remains unclear. A hearing on the motion is scheduled for August 8th. Theros Capital co-founder Kyle Davies is attempting to fight a motion to hold him in contempt of court by arguing that the U.S. laws no longer apply to him. This is actually very true, right? The U.S. born and raised Davies told the judge in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the Southern District of New York on Tuesday that he renounced his U.S. citizenship in late 2020 and no longer views himself as under jurisdiction of U.S. courts. For the avoidance of doubt, I am not subjecting myself to or accepting the jurisdiction of the courts in the United States, Davies wrote. The move comes after months of attempting or attempts to force Davies and Three Arrows co-founder Suzu to cooperate with the effort to liquidate their failed hedge fund and repay billions to investors. Liquidators in British Virgin Islands put the company, which has assets in the British Virgin Islands, into Chapter 15 uh, bankruptcy protection in the U.S. in order to benefit from legal shields against creditors provided by U.S. bankruptcy. Davies and Zhu claim to have cooperated with the bankruptcy process, but the liquidators overseeing the wind down of their fund say they've withheld crucial documents for months. Despite federal judge presiding over the case going to the unusual length of approving subpoenas of Zhu and, and Davies in December, this is the first time Davies has cited his renounced uh, citizenship as as cause for his lack of response, right? After failing to respond to the subpoena, lawyers for 3AC's liquidators asked for Davies to be held in contempt of court possibly subjecting him to a $10,000 per day fine until he responds as well as paying legal fees for liquidators related to his refusal to reply. Wow, this is a very interesting situation because if you are not technically a U.S. citizen, should you then still be subject to U.S. security laws and violations 
and court proceedings? I don't think so, but I could be wrong. But is there country or contractual agreements between between and amongst countries, right? So say you're not a U.S. citizen, well, you are a citizen of somewhere. And wherever you're a citizen of, do they have a contractual agreement to deport you to the U.S. in the case of an event that you do potentially have a lawsuit against you from the U.S.? I think that's how these things kind of go. But maybe the country or the passport that he's holding now does not have a contractual agreement with the U.S., so then that would allow him to evade these court violations and charges, right? I believe. But anyways, the article goes on to read, it says, the June effort to hold him in contempt came a few days after the New York Times profile of the 3AC founders featuring their retreat to Bali after costing investors billions with implosion of their investment fund. The contempt or the contempt motion also notes Davies frequently makes himself available to discuss the situation with Twitter users, despite allegedly not cooperating with those charged with unwinding his firm's debts. The article goes on to read, it says, But on Tuesday, Davies and his lawyers argued that the court cannot enforce a subpoena against him because he is no longer a citizen. And specific rule around subpoenas in bankruptcy cases does not allow for service of persons outside of the United States who are not U.S. nationals or residents. Wow. Hmm. This is very interesting. So lawyers representing Davies also argued that he is not properly served the subpoena because it went to his Singaporean lawyer and not directly to him. Interesting. So the subpoena, I guess, has to be directly handed to him and not indirectly handed to a lawyer or to someone who has power of attorney, I guess. Right. So I'm trying to figure this stuff out, too, as well. It's, it's, it's quite interesting, honestly. But anyway, the article goes on to read, it says, where that leaves the ongoing U.S. portion of the bankruptcy remains unclear. A hearing on the motion is scheduled for August 8th. So this has already kind of happened. So I, I guess I'm looking for a follow-up article to see what happened on that hearing because it's by the time you guys get this, it'll be August 21st, right? So the U.S. financial regulators and criminal prosecutors can still issue enforcement actions or pursue indictment of foreign nationals believed to have committed crimes in the U.S. Okay, there we go. Or involving U.S. citizens or entities. Got it. So 3AC has reportedly under or was important was reportedly under investigation by regular regulators late last year. The fund's failure was a prosecutor as it was as the fund's failure was a persecutor to even larger crypto collapses like FTX's implosion. Right. Uh, I can't read, guys. It says the. <laughs> It says the fund's failure was a precursor to even larger crypto collapses like FTX implosion. Sorry, guys, it's still it's still early here, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I I need to wake up. Sorry for the the lack of being able to read, <laughs> but yeah, you guys get the point of this article. Very interesting stuff. We'll see how this continues in regards to 3AC. I don't know if you guys are familiar with 3AC, but they were a huge hedge fund for crypto. And they were branded and marketed as one of the most trustworthy hedge funds. And any project that had their backing or they invested in pumped during the bull run. And so if you saw 3AC backing, you knew right away the project was going to do well and perform really, really well in the market. 
But anyway, that's the, the three AC news. I know that also as well. I just do want to before we move on that a lot of U.S. citizens the in, there's an increase in the amount of U.S. renouncement or U.S. citizenship renouncement in in the states, right? So this is happening uh, more and more. There's the percentages are increasing and compounding each and every year because the wealth is starting to the wealthy people are starting to realize that the U.S. is not the maybe the most suitable option to keep and store all of your wealth. And they're starting to diversify into Portugal, into Dubai, South America, you know, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Bali, all these different types of areas to sort of protect themselves and hedge their risk. And they're also diversifying passports too, as well through these citizenship by investment programs. So, for instance, citizen, citizenship by investment program. For those who not know that are listening to this, is when you basically deploy capital into a into a country. Either you you start to own large amount of shares in a company or you buy real estate you show some kind of commitment to the country through investment right or you buy land right um in some countries maybe perhaps you can you can hold a large amount of gold and custody that into their bank or you you deposit a certain amount of money into their bank they have different sort of requirements in regards to how they want you to invest right into the country but the point is that you invest into the country and to showcase your your uh, commitment to the country, right? And in return, you get granted a, a passport immediately, right? And with this passport, now you you can hedge your risk in case of the event that you feel the U.S. is unsuitable. You can now renounce your U.S. passport and then only be identified with the passport that you hold for that specific country, right? And this is what a lot of people are doing now to hedge risk. In Portugal, they have citizenship by investment program. They also have it in Greece and in other countries too as well. But this also causes a lot of issues too as well when you look at a lot of people going and dumping liquidity and going to live in these areas and pumping that those areas with you know their wealth. It's causing locals to be outpriced in those specific areas and having locals complain because they're being outpriced by people who have large-scale liquidity coming in by the herd to avoid the regulatory scrutiny and taxation and just mistreatment, you know, from these from these Western nations and so on, right? And so that's why these countries are doing this, these, this or that's why these, not countries, but these citizens are doing these types of things. So, yeah, let's move on to the next piece of news. So we have GameStop halts crypto wallet service citing regulatory uncertainty, right? So again, with the, with the regulatory uncertainty, so they announced it will terminate service of crypto wallets from November. And what could be a major setback for driving the mainstream adoption of blockchain-powered video games? GameStop has stopped service for cryptocurrency wallets, right? The, the company posted information to its website Due to the regulatory uncertainty of the crypto space, GameStop has decided to remove its iOS and Chrome extension wallets from the market, said the GameStop service will end on November 1st, the company also said. U.S.-based GameStop made headlines late last year when it announced it was launching an NFT marketplace. With its crypto wallet, it sought to allow customers to both store their crypto and NFTs and utilize decentralized apps on the Ethereum blockchain. At the same time, it appeared GameStop's embracing of crypto would benefit Web3 games. 
like Gods Unchained and Illuvium, which operate on Immutable X, a layer 2 Ethereum solution, right? So if you guys don't know, Gods Unchained and Illuvium were some of the golden child, golden child crypto gaming projects during the bull run, right? You guys should definitely look into both of these projects too as well because they are actually pretty good projects as they're making that Unreal Engine type of um, vibe for uh, consumers, right? And, and so to be able to consume high quality games, but also earn rewards at the same time and these sort of play to, play to earn mechanisms, right? And I think Illuvium got up to like billions of dollars in, in market capitalization, if I'm not mistaken. But right now they're really cheap. I think they went, did like a 90% retracement. So it's definitely something to look into. Immutable X was one of the first layer two, or it might've been the first layer two um, NFT marketplace on Ethereum that also offered like NFT games and stuff like that that you could trade on, but you only trade on their platform. Like you only view the NFTs on their platform. I think you couldn't really hold the NFTs in your own wallet, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, they end up launching their own token as well. And yeah, I did buy a couple NFTs and trade some NFTs there too as well to play around with their marketplace, right? So yeah, this article goes on to read, so far this year, the entire crypto industry from exchanges to assets themselves have faced renewed regulatory scrutiny in the US in the wake of the FTX collapse. So yeah, this I don't wanna read the rest of this stuff. This is just kind of fluff. So you kind of get the idea here why is the GameStop is halting their crypto wallet service, right? And so basically, if they do still have the NFT marketplace, it'll be sort of just trading pictures. I think what, what will happen then, I guess, is they will have a public wallet where they control and anyone that's on their platform can trade you know, using that public wallet, right? Something like this, right? Where you don't have the custody of the asset. You can't you can't take the the NFT off of that public wallet and move it into your own private wallet. And I think that's how they're gonna play it, or they're gonna maybe just shut down the entire NFT marketplace as a whole. But it's good that GameStop continues to innovate and you know embrace change quickly. And I'm really very much impressed with how they reinvented themselves over the course of the time and over the course of the years with especially during the meme coin season and they really took advantage of that and rebranded and changed and tweaked a bunch of stuff and added stuff within their vertical implementations of their business so very interesting anyways let's move on to the next piece of news so here we have china still binance's biggest market with 90 billion dollars in monthly volume despite their crypto ban, right? So when we go on to read the article, right? It says Binance still gets most of its business from the China from China despite crypto being illegal in the country, right? So how are they doing this? So an article goes on to read, it says the crypto exchange had over $90 billion worth of spot and futures trading volume from China in May. The WSJ reported, right? Citing an internal platform at Binance named Mission Control. Interesting. Most of that volume came from futures trading. So not real actual crypto. So if you guys don't know, futures isn't real crypto. It's predicting the price of what you think the future of that asset will go, you know, whether it's up or down, but you're not, it's synthetic. It's not, you're not trading the actual spot, the actual crypto itself. But anyways, 
Binance's total combined spot in Bitcoin futures trading volume was over 670 billion in May, according to the Blocks Data Dashboard, right? After China, Binance's biggest markets are South Korea, Turkey, and Vietnam, which is fascinating as hell. And as you guys know, I don't know if you guys know in Turkey, but their currency is inflating at a rapid pace. I don't know. I'm just, uh, it appears or it feels like it's it's inflating at 10% every month. Jokingly speaking, of course, but it's just ridiculous there how much is inflating. It might be a really good suitable place to, if you're looking to maybe vacation or to invest and buy something cheap. That would be maybe a suitable solution for you as a lot of people are flocking towards crypto to preserve their capital or whatever is left of it, right? So anyways, the article goes on to read. It says Binance has 5.6 million Chinese or China-based users as of May, of which 911,650 were active, right? So according to Mission Control, Overall, the crypto exchange has a total of over 128 million users. As of January, the WSJ said about 100,000 Chinese users at Binance were classified as politically exposed persons, right? Citing internal company documents and a former employee, PEPs or politically exposed persons are individuals who hold influential positions in government offices or have close associations with such individuals, right? So traditional financial institutions often subject PEPs to enhance scrutiny to prevent money laundering and illicit financial activities. Binance, however, has reported being lenient in verifying the identities of its users in China. Of course they would because they want to make money, right? That's the whole entire point of a business is to extract as many or to bring in as many users as possible and make as much money as possible. It's all about the bottom line. So even though these PEPs probably shouldn't be able to be verified and to be able to trade on the Binance market, they're still doing it anyways, right? Still doing it anyways. So it's very, very interesting, this article, just to showcase that even though China air quotations had banned Bitcoin, people were still trading, but and people were still mining, people were still doing what they what they wanted to do because people need a way in which they can be outside the system, right? You need a hedge outside of the system in case in the event that something happens like, I don't know, your president decides to go to war with another country. <coughs> Russia, you know, just saying, and uh Ukraine war, right? So the Russian-Ukraine war that happened, you know, as you guys know, there, there, Russia was, was, sanctions were imposed against Russia for the situation, and they were shut out of the SWIFT banking system, and you had common Russian citizens that had properties and investments in different areas around the world had those properties seized just because of the decisions that their leader made, not that the decisions of what they made, just because they were tied to a passport that the leader of that passport that they're tied to had certain ideologies and implementations that maybe they were for or against, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, these are citizens that didn't do anything wrong, but just invest and trusted that the countries they invested in would do right by them, and they didn't. They seized and froze and confiscated their assets. So if you think it can't happen to you, it definitely can. With the formulation of BRICS going on, 
which I want to do an extensive study on about my theory on bricks and um, the middle class getting squeezed. I'm going to do a combination of the two and I want to call this paper the great squeeze, right? So expect this to come out at a certain point in time where I will express my my intellect and theor theoretical approach to how I see the next 10 to 20 years looking in regards to the landscape of economics, finance, and all things um, that's going to go on, you know, I do think that we're going to enter into a multi-reserve currency landscape, as I do see a lot of countries starting to join the BRICS, and I think this is going to become more and more prevalent as time continues on, and I think people aren't really paying attention or people don't take it too serious. But what's to say that BRICS get so powerful enough that they start sanctioning the U.S. and getting the U.S. out of their system? And then confiscating the U.S. people's properties. You know, this could be a, a situation that could occur. So you need to really be paying attention and don't think that it can't happen to you. But anyways, let's move on to the next piece of news. Here we see that Coinbase looks to add the Bitcoin Lightning for payments, right? The move is part of the exchange's broader plan to improve crypto ba cryptocurrency-based payments globally, right? So it's good to see that they're going to add lightning. So this article goes on to read. It says Coinbase or coin is looking to add Bitcoin's lightning network for payments as part of a broader plan to offer more cryptocurrency payments to users around the world. Right. We're looking into how to best add lightning. It's a non-trivial, but I think worth doing. Right. Uh, I'm all for payments taking off. In Bitcoin, CEO Brian Armstrong said on Wednesday, let's build together. He added in response to a tweet by Jack Dorsey, founder of the financial services company Block, right? And so it goes on to, the article goes on to say the Lightning Network is a second layer for Bitcoin that uses micropayment channels between software providers called nodes to speed up payments on the Bitcoin blockchain for a low cost. These channels allow two parties to lock up on-chain funds. It decreases network congestion by conducting several transactions separately and by then bundling every transaction into one and submitting to the main chain, right? And so to sort of translate this for you guys, right, who are not familiar with the Lightning Network, so say I kind of see the Lightning Network as kind of a checkings account, if you will. Your savings account or where you hold the bulk of your money should be in your private wallet, right? Your private, on the base layer, right? That's a layer one. Then you could take a portion of those funds and, and you can send them into a payment channel. You can either run your own Lightning node, which takes a little bit more technical expertise to be able to do so, right? To set that up. Or you can use someone else's, right? Which is what a lot of people are doing and think that's how they're, they're shaking and moving in El Salvador like that, right? So you send your funds and you trust then their nodes. So there is some counterparty uh, risk right there. And their node opens up a channels or, or a multitude of channels and you can, you can pay as much as you want with the amount of liquidity that you have at the layer two, leveraging someone else's node, right? And once you're, you're done and all those transactions are done being, being uh, formulated, right? The transactions get closed and then they get sent off to the Bitcoin or recorded 
back to the Bitcoin layer one, right? As a bundle, they bundle it all up and send it back to the Bitcoin layer one where it gets finalized because Bitcoin is, is the security layer, right? And so that's kind of how they do it. And so you can also do microtransactions there, which is really cool. So this idea that people don't understand, you know, you, you don't, you're not sending, instead of sending point zero 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 one Bitcoin, you're not doing that on the, the Lightning Network. The the denomination of money is different. It's actually they're using Satoshis. And as you, if you don't know Satoshis, so 100 million Satoshis equals one Bitcoin. So if you send one sat, you know, or you buy coffee with like seven sats, that's kind of what will show up on the Lightning Network when you're using it practically, right? And that's basically kind of how it works and functions, right? So let's move on to the next piece of news. So here we see that blockchain.com obtains major payment institution license in Singapore, right? So I downloaded the blockchain.com app, but uh, I don't know why I never just used it. I think I deleted it off my phone, but um, yeah, I think they're, they're, I don't know too much about them, but I was trying to use them, I think, to buy or Bitcoin or to do something, but I, I don't know, I just deleted them. But anyways, the article goes on to read, it says cryptocurrency business blockchain.com has obtained a payment license in Singapore as it continues to expand its presence in Asia, the company said Monday. Blockchain.com said in a statement that the Monetary Authority of Singapore issued the company a major payment institution license on August 1st. The central bank previously granted the firm an in-principle approval for the license in October, according to its blog post, right? The license allows the exchange to provide regulated digital payment token services to its global institution, institutional and accredited investors, investor con, uh, customers. I don't know why I can't speak today. The, the company said, right? And so the article goes on to read. It says on Monday, MAS announced a commitment of up to 150 million or 170 or 111.6 million dollars over three years under a fintech and innovation program that includes a track to support web3 technology right last month singapore's high court said it considered cryptocurrency property remember that right i, I covered that in, a, in another podcast where they did say that they considered uh, cryptocurrency property in a case involving crypto exchange bybit and a contractor right the court ruled crypto assets are things in action and capable of being held on trust, right? MAS also published a report in June in collaboration with the Bank for International Settlements or the, yeah, yeah, and on a framework for tokenization and institution grade DeFi protocols. So they're moving over there in Singapore. They're, they're crypto friendly over there, it appears, right? So yeah, I do want to check out this blockchain.com. Uh, to see basically how far they've come in regards to that and what kind of um, payments and solutions and, and stuff that they plan to, to launch on their platform. It's very interesting. But anyways, move on to the next piece of news. So here we see Microsoft collaborates with Aptos to explore digital payments and CBDCs, right? So tech giant Microsoft and Aptos, an innovative public blockchain platform founded by former Facebook employees have announced a new collaboration to explore numerous initiatives, right? 
The partnership is aimed at exploring Aptos's innovative solutions using Microsoft's AI technology to bolster its tools and services. It's a very perfect synergy, right? Between blockchain and AI. If you guys don't know, Microsoft invested uh, over $10 billion into OpenAI and OpenAI software, right? So they have it integrated into Bing too as well, the, the, the chatbot, right? To compete with Google and Google search engine. And then they also own LinkedIn too as well. So they have a lot of data sets to pull from from there as well. And yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting because people don't know that the, it was Facebook former employees that launched Aptos. So then they, they will have a lot of intel on Microsoft's competitor, Facebook, right? So, and so Microsoft is, is, is very, very strategic move, I think, for them. And um, yeah, so the article goes on. It says the details from the press release revealed that Aptos will utilize Microsoft's framework to launch new offerings that will be a mix of blockchain and artificial intelligence, right? Like I just said. This also includes the launch of Aptos Assistant, a new chatbot that will answer queries regarding Aptos ecosystem. Wow. That's new and innovative. You know, I haven't, I haven't seen anything like that before. I do have my, I'm not a huge fan of Aptos, but I do think it could have a Solana-like move in the next bull run. I do. I do. Because of all the people that are backing it, right? I think it will potentially have a really, really good move in, in the bull run. It could be maybe a suitable investment opportunity for some people. But anyways, the article goes on to talk about... It says here that Moshe Shaikh, CEO of Aptos Labs, said artificial intelligence and blockchain technologies are quickly converging for one important reason. They are both general generational breakthroughs that profoundly impact the evolution of the internet and shape society, right? Microsoft and Aptos will explore digital payments and CBDCs, right? And the article goes on to read, it says the two companies additionally Decided to explore financial services solutions based on the blockchain technology. This includes examining asset tokenization, various payment methods, and the concept of central bank digital currencies to broaden the potential applications of blockchain. Aptos intends to operate validator nodes using Microsoft Azure in order to bolster the security of its network. So Microsoft has also collaborated with Web3 infrastructure platform Anchor back in February with the aim of deploying a novel node hosting service. I think Anchor is a is a is a service that allows you to launch blockchains or helps you to launch blockchains on if I'm not mistaken, right? So it's interesting that they partner with them also in conjunction with Aptos. So I could see Microsoft potentially launching their own blockchain in the not so distant future. This is a hot take. I, I think that this could I'm just drawing the ties together and seeing that this could, could be a potential possibility for them. Um, I'm wondering how they would incorporate CBDCs into the entire thing. But, you know, as you guys know, I'm not a fan of CBDCs because I think it's dystopia. It's dystopian, right? And, but yeah, so this is this is basically the news in regards to Aptos, Microsoft, and them collaborating together, you know, to synergize blockchain and AI technology right so guys this is pretty much it for this podcast right i hope you guys enjoyed this one man stay tuned for next week 
as I will try to start bringing more and more people on their industry experts in their own particular verticals, right? But anyways, stay tuned for next one, guys, and peace. Thank <laughs> you.